This is the Sports Business Radio Roadshow, presented by Boingo Wireless. From the campus of the University of South Florida, with the two executives of the college football playoff, Bill Hancock and Michael Kelly. Now, here's the host of Sports Business Radio, Brian Berger. Thanks for checking out the only show dedicated to covering the business side of sports. It's a special edition of Sports Business Radio, the Sports Business Radio Roadshow, presented by Boingo Wireless from the University of South Florida with the top two executives for the college football playoff, Bill Hancock, the executive director, and Michael Kelly, the chief operating officer. I was on the campus with the two of them, an in-depth interview with the two men who make college football playoff go. Thanks so much to our friends at Boingo Wireless. Thanks to our friends at Tagboard, who provided our social media visualizations for the show. If you want to search the conversation around our show on social media, you can do that by using the hashtag SBRadioCFP, like college football playoff. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Bill Hancock and Michael Kelly of the college football playoff. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the College Football Playoff Edition of the Sports Business Radio Roadshow. I'm John Bergeron of Boingo Wireless, the sponsor of the event, and I'm thrilled to be here with all of you. This is an exciting event and an amazing opportunity to get students face-to-face with some of the most influential names in sports, including Mr. Bill Hancock and Michael Kelly of the College Football Playoffs. Quickly, for some of those that do not know Boingo, we are the leader in connectivity solutions for sports and entertainment venues. We power wireless networks for major league sports teams that range from the Chicago Bears and the Atlanta Hawks to NCAA teams like Kansas State and the University of Louisville. In a nutshell, Boingo makes sure that your phone works and so you can stay connected to all the action. It is certainly an exciting time for sports business community as we enter an entirely new era of wireless connectivity. More and more we are seeing franchises capitalize on mobile technology to enhance the fan experience and that's what Boingo is all about. To all the students in the room, remember that technology opportunities with sports are endless. From virtual reality to Wi-Fi networks, there are so many careers in sports outside of the team themselves. Remember this and your future will be bright. With all that said, I'd like to introduce Mr. Brian Berger, the host of Sports Business Radio. Thank you. Thank you, John. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for being here. Uh, the Sports Business Radio Road Shows, we take our show on the road. We just did one last month in New York with uh, NBA Commissioner David Stern. And uh, it's great to be able to sit down in person with our guests. So joining us today, as John said, is Bill Hancock, the Executive Director of the College Football Playoff. I've had the pleasure of speaking with Bill before. Uh, on the phone, first time in person, and Michael Kelly, the COO of the College Football Playoff. Thank you both for joining us today. Thank you. Appreciate it. So let's start with uh, being on a college campus. When we do these on college campuses, we start by reminiscing about college experiences. I'll start with you, Bill. So you went to the University of Oklahoma. What are some of your fondest memories of, of being on a college campus? And then you know, we always get asked at these, how did you get started in sports? Yeah, I love my time at OU. I have graduated in three and a half years. Uh, now looking back, I wish I'd taken about, <laughs> seven, about seven. Yeah. I had so much fun, but I was in a hurry to get out and get a job in the real world. Uh, I was a journalism major, and actually I loved um, my jobs at college. I worked all the time. And I remember more working than I do remember about going to class. Okay. I hope none of my professors are listening. <laughs> but I worked on the student newspaper. I worked in the print shop of the student newspaper. I worked as a driver. I drove professors from the main campus at OU up to night school and back. And that was a great experience, listening to those professors talk about their feels. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I got a job in the athletic department. So I worked all the time when I was there. And I, I had a great college experience. And I'm going to say this uh, because I'm a huge admirer of yours. I'm a, I'm a family guy. I have a 12-year-old daughter. And I so much admire what a family person you are. And the book that you wrote and the time that you spend with your family and your grandkids. And it warms my heart to see those pictures. And, um, you know, in sports we tend to get caught up in our jobs and the hours and I know you work very hard but I can tell from a distance that the priority in your life is your family so I just wanted to commend you on that. Yeah thank you Brian. Family's important to us. We had uh, 
two boys. Uh, one was killed in a plane crash a few years ago. Yes. Uh, and we have three grandchildren who are waiting downtown for me to get back. <laughs> so I we won't keep them waiting so too long. I can hang long. out with them for a while. Yeah, that's great. Well, I bet they're going to have a fun next few days. Yeah, they love coming to visit. I was director of the Final Four, as you know, for a yes. long time. And they always went to the Final Four from when they were infants. And now they're going to the college football playoff. They've got it pretty good. Yeah, they do. Do they realize that they have they it? Do. They do. Okay. Really do. Good. They'll be... Uh, They'll be the cool kids when they get back to school. Yeah, I bet they will. So, Michael, you went to Wake Forest University, but then I know you were associate AD right here at USF. Is that correct? That's true. It's awfully fun to come back to uh, to USF for sure. Uh, it's funny to see people put up bull signals when, uh, when I'm in the yeah in the crowd here. But uh, but yeah, it's, it's it's nice to come back. You know, the Tampa community was huge to me in my career. I got first, ironically, got a chance to work with. Bill, not, not too long after we met, we had a Final Four that we worked together in this area. Bill ran it from the NCAA side, and we were kind of his local office here to kind of get things set up. And then uh, had a chance to be the leader of the Super Bowl host committee here in 2001 and then spent uh, over a year here at USF with uh, Leroy Selman and, and many others here. So it's a special place for, for me as well. Well, in bringing this event here after you brought the Super Bowl here, that's got to be very exciting. I mean, you can argue two of the biggest, if not the biggest, events that Tampa has ever hosted you've been a part of. That's true, and it's very special. And when you can combine the Final Four, it's really the, the, the trifecta as it relates to annual American sporting events. So it's very exciting in that regard. And, uh, you know, it's just great to see the way this community is built up and the support and, uh, it, it provides to events <coughs> like this. So we're, we're really excited to be here. Give our listeners, either one of you, uh, a little bit of a glimpse when you're producing a mega event like this. I think our listeners are always surprised that it's not a staff of a thousand people putting this on. It's usually a smaller staff than that, that are doing a lot of work. You have a lot of volunteers. But, you know, can you give us a little bit of a timeline as to when you're digging in to plan for an event like this and, and a little bit of detail on what goes into it? Yeah, uh, we have a staff of 18 out of our office Jeez. in Dallas. And but we have lots of volunteers who come in right. under Michael's direction. Uh, we start working in earnest a year out. Our staff comes to Tampa, came to Tampa once a month, about basically starting a year out. And uh, there's a lot of local involvement to help make this happen. Right. Michael can talk more about that. Yeah, Bill described it really well. <coughs> and then we rely so much on a bid process to have a what we call a local organizing committee or a host committee that will. Kind of while we're only able to come maybe for three or four days a month and kind of be a part of meetings and coordination, we really rely on, uh, in this case, the Tampa Bay Sports Commission, who's led by Rob Higgins, another USF grad and someone I actually worked with on staff here when we were together at the athletic department. But, uh, you know, we have the, we rely on the host committee. It, it creates uh, so many different people in the community, both volunteer and public safety officials, different people from just about any venue you right. can think of that we're utilizing here. For instance, the University of South Florida is a practice site for one of the teams and so there's a lot of coordination with the athletic department for that as well but uh, Bill and I just came here from a, a, a visit we were doing at the stadium just a quick walk through and and just there alone uh, you can see uh, hundreds of people working already right now all week long setting up either major events in the parking lot uh, setting up all kinds of the decor and, and uh, uh, we're putting in 6,000 temporary seats and wow you just start looking at all the different bits and pieces of physical equipment and people and personnel uh, we've seen it and knew it would come together on paper, but uh, today is a, is a day where you kind of all see it kind of start coming together in reality, and you're, you're glad for the planning and seeing everybody execute it. So after this event, you've got Atlanta in 2018, uh, Levi Stadium in San Francisco in 2019, and New Orleans in 2020. When you're looking at cities and venues to host this event, what's the criteria? We look for the infrastructure in the city, first of all, airport, hotels, stadium. Um, then we look for the city's ability, proven ability to host a big event. Okay. It's not an easy thing to round up these volunteers right. and to have the city government support. Uh, that's probably the next thing is that some kind of affirmation that the city government and county government in this case will be aligned with us and with the local host in fulfilling their obligations. And then you look for, it, it's almost hard to describe, but I would say a city with heart, with, with a soul to welcome visitors, to produce volunteers, mm -hmm. uh, train them, and, uh, and, and have them be a reflection of the enthusiasm of the community for an event like this. 
and Tampa graded out A plus, A plus 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 in all of those. Yeah, just driving around town the last day or so uh, in Ubers, I can, you know, the people are very excited for this event to be here and they seem to be very hospitable and um, they seem to know what's going on. So they're kind of these uh, helpful, probably not uh, volunteers associated with the event, but they know enough about what's going on to get you to the concert stages or, you know, to the convention center or, or things like that. So that's been interesting. So with your background, Michael, um, as Super Bowl, it's interesting that this, you know, has a host committee. You were talking about the Tampa Sports Authority. Did you model this after what you did with Super Bowl, where, you know, anytime a Super Bowl goes into a city, some people may not know that, the host committee is really doing a lot of the daily legwork with the volunteers, and then the NFL comes in last few weeks and, you know, takes over from there. Is that the same thing with college football playoff? In some ways it is. We, we learned a lot from that. Certainly Bill being the leader of the Final Four for so many years, we learned that structure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a chance to learn on how NFL structures, and there's so many similarities to it. Uh, even when I had some time at the ACC office, we kind of had a similar structure for our basketball tournament and our, and our men's uh, football championship as well. And so I, I think we, we, we've just really tried to find a great balance where we have uh, kind of something happening with the community and not, and not to it, and, and that kind of interaction is something that's really, really, really good. So we, uh, it's, it, is, it is similar. It's funny, the, the word host committee com, comes about, and I think about a conversation I had with Brian Glazer, who's one of the owners of the right. Buccaneers, and, and in the old days... The Tampa Bay organization used to call itself the Tampa Bay Super Bowl Task Force. And I remember my very first meeting uh, with the Tampa Bay uh, Task Force, if you will. I remember he came up to me and said, why do we call it the Task Force? It sounds like something's wrong. <laughs> Where it's really something that's a celebration and it's right. something that we enjoy. So it's a, and, and our primary responsibility as a host committee is to truly do that, is to host not only the folks that are putting on the event, but primarily the hundreds and thousands of visitors that will come to the marketplace for an event like a Super Bowl and certainly tens of thousands that are coming for the CFP championship. So, Brian, our staff, <clears throat> Michael has experience with Super Bowl, of course, and right. Reed Sigmund, our CFO, is also a Super Bowl veteran. Uh, but, but our staff, we have people who worked at the NCAA. We have people who worked at uh, conferences around the country. We have people who worked at different schools around the country. So every one of us brings a little bit of what we learned on the way right. here to make this event successful. It's a seasoned group. Yeah. You've seen a lot of things in your in your time. Season and seen it from different uh, angles that, like Bill's talking about, is what, what helps us helps us ask and anticipate issues and ask the right questions. And I think we can try to uh, try to have a little bit of something for everyone because there's so many. I think when you talk about mega events, that's the thing that I think people that aren't involved in it don't don't quite realize. And and you know we, we have a keen focus on the on the players and the student athletes. The coaches have a different focus. The media has a huge focus. The fans. Uh, different different levels of, of fans in terms of the types of events they're going to, uh, people that are coming to be a part of this that have no tickets or even maybe not even that much interest in college football, but they're interested in what's happening here in Tampa with the concert to the Fan Central for their families to go to. So there's a different uh, lens by which to look through it, and we try to try to anticipate that from all of them. Another thing to that, Brian, when we go to games, like I go to Kansas City Royals, I have season tickets for right. Kansas City Royals. I'm, I'd love to watch the game, but I'm also watching how the stadium mm-hmm. operates. Uh, I go to the symphony, and I, I, I watch how the ushers work. And yeah. Can, what can we learn? I think I know Michael. I think all our staff is the same way. We all love to go to sporting events and other events, but you, you learn from every time out. Right. What works, what doesn't work. One of the things that's changed a lot in the last five to six years is connectivity around events so when fans walk in they want to send selfies and pictures and post on social media and boingo wireless powers our our roadshow so i'm asking this uh i've seen a lot of venues that have really transformed their connectivity how much do you pay attention to that a when you're selecting a host venue for a mega event like this but then um what are the other elements around this as far as uh, do you have the schools that come to you and say, hey, you know, and media as well, we need to be connected with Wi-Fi and we have a lot of different needs, whether it's communication on the sidelines or in the press box? Michael's better than I am about the technical part of that, but let me just say to start off, you want the in-stadium experience to be better than the home experience. Hmm. 
you want to deliver them you have to do that how do you do that well to do that you make sure that the fans have just about everything they can get at home right plus the excitement and the feel of being in that stadium well okay what can they get at home well they can get pizza they can get soft drinks or more uh, and they can get connectivity right and but the advantage of being there is at home you can't do a selfie with that beautiful green field in the background right but at the stadium you can and, and Michael and his crew are really on top of how that happens at the stadiums sure just from the connectivity and just the uh, amount of infrastructure that needs to go into stadiums we usually end up having to add more to it or ask the city to provide more to us and even in a stadium as nice as Raymond James Stadium but First, it's like Bill said, you want to have good connectivity in the stadium just for fans to do what they want to do, and I'll get more into that. We have to bolster quite a bit what is necessary for ESPN to broadcast this game, and in essence, over a thousand media members also that will wow. be in the facility and all the not just just the hard just the basic needs that they have, but then again, now with social media, how much other things that they they've put into it. Uh, and then we've also just tried to take advantage of the movement, how much more it's important important it's become even in these first uh, three years of our existence in terms of. Uh, our social platforms are huge and widely used. We have a whole team of about 15 people that are in a boardroom down at the Tampa Marriott Waterside right now that are uh, our social media team that are working at it not only from our perspective but from Tampa Bay's, from the teams, and that all stays coordinated And how do we kind of put together a good foot forward. Uh, we've got customized emojis. We've got apps that have special geofencing and ways to uh, send certain messaging to fans as they come into certain parts of it. And in conjunction with the host committee this year, we've done something very, very special, and it's called our uh, CFP Social Passport, something that AT&T helped sponsor for us as well. But we've got uh, uh, that is basically a rewards program on a special app that we have that whether you use a hashtag, whether you check in at different parts of the event or special uh, photo opportunities we have around the city, you get certain points and win certain CFP prizes. And so it's been a neat way to kind of put, put it all together, and it's going to be, quite frankly, I'm pretty certain it's going to be the best uh, collaborative a social effort of any event in our in our in our country at uh, at this point in time, and ultimately someone on Sunday night is going to win tickets to the game, which are very very hard to come by because of these these points. So, it's a, just a really neat way to put it together. And you know what's helped make this happen too is the new Tampa Riverwalk, uh, which has helped us connect all of our event venues for the mm. special events, all in a very walkable, concise footprint. Yeah. And we've been able to bring that to life with signage, photo ops, special big uh, logo <coughs> displays that. I mean, people are out there right now trying to get uh, get points every time they do something and see if they can win the, the big prize. It's great. The app is one of the best I've seen for a large-scale event like this, so congratulations on that. And these apps seem to be getting more and more sophisticated every year. So let's... I would like to say one thing just about our app, too. There's a even a feature, to your point on the stadium, that Bill, I forgot to mention, is that even for merchandise, people want to get their hands on that, and lines can get long. And oh, yeah. Like there's a way you can order uh, merchandise through our, through our app, and they'll bring it right to your right to your seat. So wow. we look we look to, for ways to do that as well. While you're at amazing, the how that works now. So let's talk about the 13 person selection committee, right? Um, I, I always marvel at you guys because there's a lot of different people on that committee. Whether it's a sports background or someone like Condoleezza Rice who's got the political background. First, you know what goes into selecting people to be on that committee and then you know you're a maestro at, at blending egos and and get you know getting people on the same page and, and things like that whether it's going from the bcs format to the college football playoff format that we have now or everything you've done with the final four you just seem to have a great way with people and and getting them to find consensus which is not always easy well thank you brian i <clears throat> when we created the playoff, we knew that we wanted to have a, a selection committee of people that could sit in a room, look each other in the eye, and debate the teams. Okay. And I think, thinking back to, to starting the committee, the, 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 well, actually the whole playoff, Michael and I were the only two employees for a while, and we were able to put together a whole team and, and put together all the processes. But when I think back to it, I think the best thing we did was to bring in these 13 high-integrity people to serve on this committee. You can maybe debate what the committee does, but you can't debate their integrity. And um, their process, well, a couple things about the individuals. We wanted diverse opinions. So we have five classifications of members. That is former university administrators, former media, former coaches, former student athletes, and then 
sitting current athletic directors. So that's the five classifications. We have geographic diversity. They're, mm-hmm. they're dispersed around the country. And hearing them debate the teams like Michael and I get to hear each week uh, gives us a real insight into their different perspectives on the teams. We might ask one of the coaches, what do you see uh, when you're comparing these three teams together? And then the reporter can say, well, now I've got these bits of data on these three teams. Look at, let's look at that. And Dr. Rice is a university administrator and, a, and also a longtime football fan and, and a football, very knowledgeable football person. Uh, she will chime in with a different perspective. And it's all those different perspectives that then com- are combined to create the, the rankings that the committee produces. The other thing that fans probably don't know about it is it's not the old football method where you bring in, everybody brings in their top 25, puts them down on a table, right. and those are average, and that produces the rankings. That's not how we operate. What we do is create small groups of teams that we then compare against each other. And those groups of teams are three, four, five, six, maybe sometimes up to eight teams. But we compare, say we compare six teams, then we rank those six and the top three in the ranking then become team one, two, three in our top 25. And there's seven rounds of voting. Each one includes that deep analysis of small groups of teams together. So we would never compare, I don't know, let's say um, Alabama is number one and who was 24, 25, maybe Temple. Alabama would never have to get compared against Temple and vice versa because there's, there's no doubt about that those two are pretty widely separated. Mm-hmm. So who gets compared? Well, Temple gets compared with Notre Dame and, and Houston and maybe, who else was down there, Michael? Navy, Tennessee. Navy, Tennessee was in that, in that group, Pitt. That, those groups of teams that are, that are in the range of at the finish of the season and somewhere in the range of eight and three record, nine and four record. So we don't have to spend time comparing Alabama and Pitt. Right. But we compare the heck out of Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State with Washington, Penn State, Michigan. This year, that was the group. Right. That was the group of six. Well, that small group comparison is really what makes this work. And that's why it's been so successful. How long do, so you said you meet weekly. So how long are these meetings typically? Is it an hour, two hours, a whole day? Probably over two days, I would say 10 to 12 hours. Wow. Yeah. So a lot of analysis and conversation and like you said it's not just people setting ballots on the table going hey here, here's what we think yeah, here a lot of de- a lot of deep dives into every team's schedule compared with with the other teams that are in the group with them uh, data we look we have every imaginable statistic and some statistics mean more to some people than to others uh, I can cite a committee member who thinks who thought that average starting field position was a great indicator of offense, defense, and special teams. That where your team average to start. So if you if you average to start at your, your own 10 and another team average to start at its own 48, well that told us that team 48 was probably doing, doing pretty well in all three criteria. Hmm. Um, so um, someone asked me, I get asked this fairly often, does the team watch video? Does the committee watch video? They do individually. We issue iPads to them, and they can, we, we, we give, provide games available for them to download. They can download games in uh, what we call uh, cut versions. So, and that is a game without um, timeouts, without huddles, right. without any time between plays. And they can watch a game in 45 minutes. Uh, so they're, they're capable of watching 10, 12 games a weekend, and some do. Uh, we also provide standard offense, uh, coaches video, offense, defense, kicking game, midfield, end zone, so that they're able to look at teams every way that you can imagine. And they're all ready to, to having looked at the game, studied the data, when they come to the meeting starting every Monday afternoon, they're all ready to debate. Interesting. How did you settle on 13? We knew we wanted to have, we set out to have no specific number, but we thought somewhere between 12 and 18 would be the right number. The NCAA basketball committee, men's and women's, each have 10. And I started calling candidates and to invite them to be on the committee. We didn't know whether people would say yes or people would say no or whether they would say, 
Can you put me in the witness protection program? <laughs> by and these are volunteer yeah, positions, right? Volunteer positions. Yeah, they're not they're getting paid. Yeah. yeah. And remarkably, when I started calling them, people kept saying, "Yeah, you bet." Right. Wow, I can give something back to the game. No witness protection I program. Can, no witness protection program. I can be a part of this. Absolutely. And so I got the, the thirteen people said yes, and I just stopped calling. Went back to our management committee, our bosses, and said. We have 13, and here they are, mm-hmm. and they basically said, stop. <laughs> yeah. That's the number. But if you needed to in the future, could that number go up or down? It could, it could go up or down. Okay. And actually, each season, we've had somebody who had to step down for different reasons, health right. reasons. Uh, Archie Manning stepped down because he wanted to watch Peyton and Eli play. Right. Yeah. Who can blame him for that? Can't blame so, him. Uh, Pat Hayden. Pat Hayden. Uh, this year, uh, Lloyd Carr stepped down because of a health issue. So we, every actually every year we've been gone through the season with only twelve, but we'll reload back at thirteen when we name the new class of members. They serve three-year terms. So this year Condoleezza's ro- uh, rotating off Barry Alvarez and Bobby Johnson. So we'll have four new members come on sometime in the next couple of months. So college football playoff, we went to this format in twenty fourteen. Every team that's played in this so far has been from a Power Five conference. So I get this question all the time, and obviously I don't know the answer. That's why I'm asking you guys. Is there ever, you know, for the Cinderella School, the Western Michigan, the Boise States, what would it take for them to have to break into this top four? Because it seems like those Power Five conferences have such strong programs and schools. You wonder, like, is anyone from an outside the Power Five conference ever going to get into this thing? Yeah, and my answer to that is that there, there's absolutely a chance. There is no automatic qualification. Everybody starts the season equal. The key is play a good schedule. Right. And win your games, and you will be in the hunt for this. So schedule's a big part of this, right? Schedule's a big part of this. And, and you all, you read about the possibility of Houston. There was a lot of right. buzz in the media sure. about the possibility of Houston, and they slipped up three times on the road. Right. That cost them. Yeah. Uh, you have to, with that play a good schedule, win your games, you'll be in the hunt. You also have to be on your game every week. And that's what makes this playoff special, I think, is what it adds to the regular season and keeps our regular season as the most meaningful and the most compelling in sports. Michael, you talked about uh, ESPN a little bit and all the production. And I mean, let's face it. There's a lot at stake for them here as the partner, and they want to have the two best teams. And, you know, it, it, this is a TV production, a big TV production. So if you have the household names and the coaches involved in this, it, it makes for the average fan tuning in probably more likely than a team that might be a, a Cinderella team. I'm a, a West Coast guy. I'm from Oregon. I didn't go to Oregon or Oregon State, so I have no mm-hmm. bias there. But the games start later there. So I'm wondering, I mean, you talked earlier about the the iPad and they can watch games on the iPad, but I think there's something to watching games live, too. Is there any kind of, I know Washington got in this year, but mm-hmm. does anyone on the committee ever come and say, you know, I just am not as familiar with that team because their games start at 10 o'clock at night on the East Coast? No, there really is. The, 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 uh, I think another beauty, beautiful thing about both the BCS and now even more so with the CFP is as Bill alluded to, is the college football is the best regular season in all of sports. Every game means a great deal. And because of that, now there is a reason to watch just about every game. And I remember there was a former commissioner of the Pac-12, Tom Hansen, who's, who, who was the commissioner of the Pac-10 and 12 before Larry Scott came right. on board. I remember when I first started attending meetings with my former job, he, he told us all, he said, you know, I would have never watched a ACC, because I was at the ACC at the time, I would have never watched a Clemson-Georgia Tech game uh, being out west because it just didn't make any sense to me. But but now, if if Clemson or Georgia Tech wins the ACC, that's vital to my team's chances. Right. And, and I think we've seen a lot of that. And now, even with uh, some of the conferences, as you saw the great run that Western Michigan got this year, people were watching to see if they were going to be the highest-ranked uh, group of five team champion to to make one of our New Year's Six games. So um, no, that's the beautiful thing about it. Every game matters. Uh, doesn't matter really what time it is because of the tools that Bill mentioned earlier that we give the committee access to. They, they pretty much usually want to watch it live anyways, but right. we can give them a condensed cut the, the, the very next uh, day, if not the next hour. And uh, so they get a chance to see everybody they need to see. Anything that we need to know about a team that's under consideration, they have everything at their disposal. You know, we've never had a time in the three years we've done this, Michael and I, 
where any committee member said, I, I didn't see that game. Okay. Because it was on the West Coast. Yeah. That is just a non-issue for us. I know you guys get this, but I'll ask it anyways. How much influence does ESPN have over who winds up playing in the game on Monday night? Because, again, it's on their air. They're paying a lot of money. It's a big production for them. Absolutely okay. none. Can the listener see my finger? <laughs> that's a big zero. And making the zero and that's zero. What, and that's what's cool about it is okay. they don't even, even from the presentation of their ranking show each week and certainly the ultimate one that gives the pairings, that they don't, their talent doesn't even know who it is then. We, we don't even share with them until wow. it unveils. On so their they're program. learning in real time like everyone else. Exactly. Yeah. Let me read a quote for you guys because I, I agree that I think college football has the most meaningful regular season. I mean, there's no margin for error. You have to play a tough schedule. Like, there's a long list of criteria. But I read this about 10 days ago from Nick Saban. When we all started this, however many years ago it was, I said that you're going to diminish the importance of the other bowl games in college football, right? Which has happened. That has happened. That's Nick Saban saying that. Um, Do you think that there's anyone out there that says, I only want to watch the college football playoff games and I don't care as much about the other games as I did before because at the end of the day, they're playing for a consolation prize. These are the four teams that are playing for the big prize. Yeah, I, I love Nick, and I, I, but I don't happen to agree with him on this point. Uh, if you watch those bowl games and watch the kids from Army or Louisiana Tech, um, just name any number of other bowl games. Oklahoma, mm-hmm. right. uh, South Florida. <laughs> the Rose Bowl was as competitive as any game I've watched in a long time. Watch those players when those games ended, and you would have thought they won the Super Bowl. Right. Um, television viewer, viewership on the other games is holding up just fine. Uh, n- not Nick, but other people who talk about the other bowl games tend to make those comments in the games that happened before about December 28th. When there are some empty seats in the stands. Mm-hmm. But I'll, I can tell you that as far as the players, uh, yeah, they'd rather play in front of a large crowd, but that, what they want is the bowl experience. Getting to play another game against with your pals, lining up one more time to go out and do it again, and getting that bowl experience to be the, to be the talk of the town wherever you go, Shreveport, Boise, Mobile, wherever it is, you are the talk of the town. And, and so for the players, the bowl games are still relevant, still meaningful. And I, I get a little disappointed when people say oh, there's too many bowl games. Well, too many for who? Uh, not not for the TV viewers who are mm-hmm. still watching. Right. Certainly not for the players who get to go to a bowl game. So who are you talking about when you say there's too many bowl games? I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. So with the college football playoff and the format from 2014 on, if you look at the two teams that are playing here, uh, Alabama and Clemson on, on Monday night, their fans are basically going to two major sporting events in the span of 10 days. And gosh, that's great. But sometimes, how do you get time off work? How do you afford it? Is there any talk ever of spacing things out a little bit more? And I know it's hard with you know, these are student athletes and the TV schedule. There's a lot of criteria that goes into this. I understand that. But I just look at, like, if Washington had gotten here, they would have had their fans probably, you know, on the road for a few weeks because they're not going to go back from the Peach Bowl to the Pacific Northwest and then back out to, to Tampa again. Yeah, we, one thing we talked a lot about, Michael and I and our board, was will the fans go to now three bit significant games, conference championship game, semifinal bowl game and, and championship game. And what we've learned in the first three years is, yes, they do. They still go. <clears throat> I don't think we have an accurate way to measure whether it's the same people who are going. Right. I'm, I'm, I know that I know that they're – I don't know, Michael. What, what would you guess? How many of the, of the people that were in last year's championship game were also semifinal? Half, maybe? Probably a little bit more than half, for sure, because at least certainly at the highest level as the teams prepare when they advance, that they, they know they're taking care of the same people that are that might, that might are definitely planning to come again. Right. Uh, it's euphoric. Uh, if you know you've got a chance to go for a national championship, it's right. kind of like you, just like the players are having to dig deep one last time, whether it's money or time or travel, yeah. they're digging deep again to go to the national championship. Yeah. So they're, they're still going. That's great. And we paced it, as you know, a little bit, too. We knew that would be a challenge. But, again, there's a 12,000... 
person uh, ticket uh, availability for the semifinals, and then it gets up to 20 for the championship game because, again, more and more people want to go to the ultimate prize if they can. But we knew it would be harder. And remember, in the BCS area, it was more than 15,000, 16,000 range. So we tried to take a lot of that into account. And so far, uh, we seem to have found the right sweet spot in terms of what just about the right amount that the teams need. The, the, the playoff has been remarkably successful in, in every way. No, I, I hear nothing but good things about it, and especially, you know, we've had the conversations before on this show, people wanted things to be determined on the field, not by computers or rankings, and, and I think this gives people that, you know, concrete champion at the end, there were four teams, and there were two, then there's one, and, and you know, I think people are much happier with how this plays out. Michael, if there's a pie chart and you're looking at where the tickets go for a game like this. Is it 40% Clemson, 40% Alabama, and the rest of it goes to the general public? I know there's sponsors. Like, is there a general, like, here's the allotment for the schools, and here's where the rest of the tickets go? There is, and we tried to learn a little bit from other major events and kind of look at that and how it fit our, fit our needs. And, but one of the directives that Bill and, and our management committee set forth, too, was to make sure we keep not only meet all the needs of the teams and everything, but to keep this event collegiate and, and, pa- and the passionate fans that, mm-hmm. that come along with college football. And as a result, we, we staked out well over 50% of our championship house to be d- dedicated directly to the team fans. So it's hard logistically because they might only have a week or two to get ready for that, but we put at least 20,000 20, seats to uh, each of the schools right off the bat. And believe me, we, we could go out and sell every ticket we wanted to at a high corporate price if we wanted to do that with mm-hmm. 70,000 tickets. But we, 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 we put a ceiling on how much we do corporately. We take care of what we have to contractually, but then everything else goes to the two teams. And, and that's why on Monday night in Raymond James Stadium, you're going to have, oh, I won't put a pie chart, but I bet you 99% of those uh, people care deeply about who wins that game mm-hmm. on Monday night, as opposed to where, again, I, I love the Super Bowl. It's, it's a great thing. I bet that you can't say the same thing about who cares about who wins that game in the stadium. People are loving it. It's a spectacle. It's great, but that same... The same passion about who's who's into that game, like like you'll see Monday night when it's Alabama and Clemson fans. It's it's something special and it's something we can't lose. It's the other reason why we have uh, we we put so much emphasis on the bands and the cheerleaders. It's a huge emphasis on what makes our game different. And uh, the bands love it. They come to town. They're going to events all weekend long. But they know it's it's not Beyonce at halftime, which is no nothing wrong against Beyonce. It's awesome. Everyone watches the halftime show. But it's 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 college football, and it's those 500 men and women from. Alabama, Clemson University band and cheerleaders that are out there on the main stage at halftime. Heck, ESPN has even puts a whole channel that just focuses on the band and cheerleaders. Wow. Megacast. Yeah, I like their different <laughs> channels that they do. Their specialized yeah. channels with the, you know, whether it's breaking down the tape or mm-hmm. the band channel. I think that's really clever. It's actually one of the things I look forward to the most is watching the different channels during the broadcast. This is the first outdoor game. Isn't it, it for is. for the so? How does that change things? It's good weather forecasted. We're in a nice weather here, but is there any you know different with the preparation or anything that goes into doing an outdoor game? Well, it's just you know obviously there's not much you can do about it, but you do have to take precautions in terms of having some some tenting. Certainly, ESPN has to, to take care of their equipment that much better. We certainly look at uh, it's usually more a matter of how you get ready for it, making sure the teams have good practice sites or backup facilities that they need to be properly prepared for the game but uh, hey it's everyone's out there under the same conditions so we'll just deal with it as they as they may but we, we're, we're excited about it I think it'll be great and something I didn't mention about the ESPN in terms of not only those neat channels that they put on but they provide and put more uh, cameras into this broadcast than, than uh, rival networks have even done for the Super Bowl they, wow. they put all in on this game and we're grateful not only for their promotional assistance throughout the year but the broadcast you'll see Monday night on any of their channels is is, is top rate. Talking about promotional assistance, uh, you guys have a great foundation, and you're doing things to promote education, and wonderful teachers are being rewarded. Maybe you can talk a little bit about the uh, College Football Playoff Foundation, because I know that's a big part of what you guys do as well. Yeah, one of the things we were able to do when we started the playoff was consider what uh, charity we wanted to be associated with. We knew we wanted to have a philanthropic component, and we talked about everything from just every every kind of charitable endeavor you can imagine. But we settled on education because what is more important in this country than education? Nothing, no single thing is important more important than what we do in, in education. And uh, we not higher education, 
but K through 12 education. Mm. And we said, okay, okay, we want, we know we want to be involved in education, but how? Teachers. Someone just threw out. What about teachers? My goodness. Name a, name a more important group of people in America than teachers. Right. You can't do it. And underappreciated, in my opinion. And underappreciated and yeah. un, under, under, under-resourced. Right. And so we, um, then it, we just fell into place from then on. And I'll remember our first meeting when we talked about it. It was so much fun with the creative juices flowing. And, and we came up with extra yard for teachers. Uh, to, to, to keep up with a football metaphor. So what we do is empower and assist uh, and honor teachers around the country and, and through different ways. Uh, this year we're bringing in teachers, uh, the top teacher from every state will be at the game Monday night. Fantastic. And we're also uh, assisting teachers. Well, if I think some people in this room are probably connected with education and probably know that teachers in many cases because of cuts in and funding are having to purchase their own equipment, their right. own supplies for their students. So Mrs. Smith at PS 101 down the road here, maybe their school can't afford to buy Crayolas for the kids. So Mrs. Smith has to buy them out of her pocket, hmm. out, of her, out of her salary that's too small as, right. as it is. So we, we partnered with a group that uh, called Donors Choose. And Donors Choose is the coolest thing because you can go online and search for your school by zip code, and Mrs. Smith would have posted on there, I really need 30 boxes of Crayolas for my kids, and you can buy it. With one click, you can buy those Crayolas for Mrs. Smith's kids. That's a great That's what tool. donors choose to yeah. And in the last two years, we have wiped out every request in Dallas and in Phoenix. Every Mrs. Smith at every PS101 mm. got her Crayolas or her computers or whatever she wanted because of, of extra yard for teachers through the College Football Playoff Foundation. It just gives me goosebumps to think about it. I'm so proud of what we do in education, and, and our, uh, our, what we're doing is only going to grow over time as more and more people realize and, and make partnerships with us to, again, honor, empower, and assist K-12 teachers in this country. And isn't your wife a, a former school teacher? She is. I must so you've say, got a good consultant in the house admit, there. I have to admit, and, and, uh, <laughs> she didn't have to lobby. I came home and I, I told her, hey, we've settled on the charitable component. I said, you're not going to believe what it is. She said, I have no idea what it is. <laughs> I said, teachers. And, uh, and there were a little tear came to her. Oh, I bet. Because uh, she was a 30-year high school English teacher. Uh, she was in a very good district, and she never had to buy any Crayolas for her senior students, but but um, she once a teacher, always a teacher. Yeah, definitely. And so we're 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 very proud of what we're doing in this regard. Before we take some questions from the audience here, uh, last question for both of you. I'll start with you, Michael. What are you doing on game night? What's your what's your routine? Where are you going? Where do you have to be? Give our listeners a little insight there. Well, our, our weekend, uh, we're kind of we're focused on all the different events throughout the whole weekend and kind of on the run from, from by the time we leave here to uh, until game day. But on game day, I get to the stadium around uh, noontime and uh, go on my own personal tour of every uh, acre of the of the whole campus to kind of make sure things are going along okay and get a feel for it. Uh, and then uh, kind of turn my attention more inside the stadium after about 2 o'clock or so. Uh, and I spend most of the game itself in what we call CFP control. And in that room, I have uh, our senior communications person, our, um, our senior stadium person that uh, handles all logistics by my side there. And then we have a rep from uh, law enforcement, from the stadium itself, from ESPN, from our transportation group. Uh, so really a, a point person from any aspect of our organization. So if something gets phoned in, whether it's out in the tailgate party or something going on with uh, somebody's band uh, bus popped a flat tire or there's a traffic jam on mm-hmm. I-4 or whatever it is, we kind of become a nerve center on that and then dispel the resources to get it done. And that goes from something very global, like I just mentioned, down to uh, uh, who's handing the referee the coin to flip it. So, right. Uh, so we kind of just follow our, our script very closely, and I kind of, in essence, serve somewhat as a producer-director. There's a producer-director for ESPN for the game, and, and I get to serve that role for us uh, in the booth. You better have two phones with full-charge batteries going that day. <laughs> Bill, what about you? What's your Well, we Michael Kelly is the best uh, event person in our, our business. And uh, we were, we're lucky to have him on our staff. So I don't have to worry about the event because I know Michael's got it. So I spend time with our governance groups 
the university presidents and the conference commissioners who manage the playoff. Uh, I'll spend time with the selection committee. And my favorite thing to do, and I'll, I'll do this Monday night, is walk around the concourse uh, just visiting with fans, mm. uh, finding out about their experience. I'll take off my credential. Okay. And most of them, some recognize me, but most won't. Okay. And I just visit with them. How, how do you like it? Are you having fun? You're like undercover boss or something. How's, how's <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. I hadn't thought of it in those terms. <laughs> but how are the hot dogs? And I talk to the kids about the merchandise and... See, I want ESPN. That's a channel. That's another channel. The Bill channel? The Bill yeah, channel. the Bill channel. Follow him around on it's, game night undercover, and uh, let's see how that goes. It's, That'd be great. It's so much fun. That's and then I'll, I'll go uh, watch the game in the press box. I, uh, I, I want to watch that football game. So once the game starts, don't talk to Bill because he's watching the game. Yeah, and it's a rematch. I mean, these two teams had such a great game last year. And, you know, they seem to have only gotten better in the last year. So it should be a heck of a game. Let's take some questions from uh, our audience here. Raise your hand if you have a question and if you would state your name and where you're from. Thank you. Susan Foster from St. Leo University Sport Business. Um, You talked a lot about um, how you decide who's going to be in. And a lot of the universities are starting to have sport analytics courses have you infused any serious, um, in-depth analytics in the selection process? Well, that's a good question, Susan. We, uh, yes, the answer is yes. But we don't want any analytics to be considered unless we know the formulas. Uh, back in the BCS days, we used computer rankings, some of which would not reveal their formulas. And uh, we used them, but looking back, it was probably a mistake. Um, so our, our, we have some analytics that, that are um, where we do know the formulas. Most of what we do, though, is pure data, pure statistical data, as opposed to compilations of the data in an analytical form. Um, we went to the human beings on the committee because we wanted that human... Uh, uh, subjectivity where they could they can analyze things that no computer no analytics can ever tell you Um, so in the BCS we were way swung over to the I'll call it the science of this and in this we've swung back to the art here's a question I have a couple of easy ones Uh, John Wright from the University of Florida Um, Who uh, selects and how are the officials selected for the game? And uh, the other question is, is halftime the same amount of time as the regular season or does it extend some like bowl games? And who decides that? Okay, good question. Um, With with regards to the officiating crew, it's uh, the NCAA. There's a gentleman by the name of Rogers Redding who's the overall coordinator of national officiating. And uh, he ends up making the assignments as it relates to what conference will, will, will do the game. And so in our case, uh, you know, he'll, he'll make that determination. And it can't be one of the conferences that is participating in the game itself. So he'll, he'll make that determination. And then that, in turn, that conference has a supervisor of officials that will uh, select uh, in all likelihood his top crew, if not his top one or two crew, depending on what other games they were assigned in the postseason. So that's how that works. And then um, as it really, remind me of the other question again. Halftime. Right? Halftime. Halftime. Uh, we do uh, extend slightly, but it's 22 minutes, uh, so it's not an elongated halftime like, like Super Bowl. But you can either be re- most regular season or 20 minutes, but you have the ability to uh, elongate to 22. But most postseason games are a 22-minute halftime. It allows us, in this case, to give each of the bands uh, a good seven minutes to do something. And then, as Bill alluded to, we're very excited about our salute to the 50 uh, top teachers of the year across the, each, each state's uh, teacher of the year to be recognized on the field at the national championship. So. Perfect amount of time. You like to leave four minutes at the end of the half for the teams to come back out and warm up. I'll tell you about officials. Uh, I love officials. I love baseball umpires. I love basketball referees. They are so professional. They work so hard. And I happened to encounter the gentleman who was the referee of the first playoff game, and college football playoff championship game. And he came up to me and said, Bill, this was the greatest experience of my officiating career. So they getting to work this championship game. So they, it's important for them mm-hmm. to move on and then to be honored to be selected for this event. And I can tell you, as, uh, 
as we sit here, we're sitting here on Friday before the game, not sure when this is going to air, but those officials right now are on pins and needles. They, and they are going through their rule books. I can promise you, wherever they live, wherever they work in their day job, right. they've taken two or three hours at a time today just to refresh themselves to get ready to come work this college football playoff championship game. Well, that's another, we were talking about teachers being underappreciated. <laughs> Officials are pretty underappreciated. <laughs> you only hear when, you know, someone has something <clears throat> negative to say. So it is a nice reward that they, no you know, are, are so uh, proud of being associated yeah. with this Yeah, and, and they're, like I say, they're professionals. Uh, they work well as a team. And um, they'll be, they'll be, they'll be on their game. They'll have their game faces on Monday night. Thank you, uh, Jason Stein with Front Office Sports. And first off, thanks for sharing with us today. It's been really great. Uh, I had a couple of questions, but for starters, you talked a lot about the just investment around the social and digital infrastructure, Wi-Fi and all that. What led you guys to deciding there was that tremendous value in investing in that? And what part did that play in deciding who partners and sponsors you had signed up for the game? And, and just how did that all come together? What And then I guess the next part would be, Leading to next year, when do you start looking at the data and analyzing what worked, what didn't work? When does that clock start for next year? Okay, great. Well, from a uh, you know, one of the things as Bill talked about, just even creating this this playoff as a whole, it's a it's a blank slate. And uh, one of the things that's so important to us when we look at the event we wanted to be, and, and certainly look at how we'll, we'll need to be probably consider with our peer uh, events, we, we we strive to be best in class in everything, and and with the. Uh, propensity of, of social media and, and interacting with fans being at such a high level, uh, we wanted to be uh, prepared for that. So Bill and I helped to, that caused us to look into certain strengths with some of the staff that we hired, and it allowed us to that had some expertise in that area, and it also allowed us to kind of pick partners that could help us uh, work with mega events. So we worked with a group called Pastano before. We worked with someone called uh, Thuzi this year to kind of bring that social passport group together. Obviously, we're fortunate with a major sponsor that. Uh, our sales team at ESPN brought to us at AT&T. So it just brings a lot of not a lot of very uh, proactive uh, uh, thoughts and focus into into what we do. We also work with Sports Labs on some of our ad a- apps as well. We're working. We've done an augmented reality app with our trophy. Uh, we're doing some work with some virtual reality as well. So we, we it's important for us to be a leader. And uh, so when new things are coming to the horizon, uh, Bill and the leadership uh, really count on our staff to make sure we're amongst those leaders in it. And then as it relates to next year. Um, not just that we'll look at the data analytics, uh, certainly on how our social p- platforms and our, our technology is, is, is viewed. We'll look at how our viewership is viewed. We spend a considerable time over the next month and a half dealing with what debriefs with the teams, with our own internal debriefs. Uh, media provide us feedback. Uh, we, we really spend the next month and a half doing nothing but getting feedback, and then we formulate our game plan. Also, that by the end of April, we lock in, load our, uh, our uh, budgets and our game plan for Atlanta, so we're ready to go. <coughs> okay, so from front office sports via Amari Dreden, how have your previous jobs prepared you for working for the college football playoff? Which, you know, I think is obviously a little self-explanatory, but I think you'd love to hear your, your answer. Yeah, I, I worked as a newspaper editor um, and uh, before I got into sports, and every job I've had has prepared me for this. As a newspaper person, you learn to be on time, uh, you learn that every person's life is uh, to be cherished and everyone has a story. And so sit back and listen to whatever people are saying um, and, and, and really listen. Don't just pay, uh, don't just pretend to listen, really listen. Uh, from working in the Big 8 Conference, I learned how to run events. I ran every event they had from, from wrestling to gymnastics to baseball to softball to track and field. Uh, I learned from that that I don't want to run any more track meets. <laughs> track. I love track, but track has so many athletes. and uh, It's a hard thing to run. Oh, remember. man, it's hard to do. Um, and then, then um, of course, running the NCAA Final Four uh, taught me about big events, taught me that, that you treat a big event just like you do a little event, which is you, you listen to everybody and you treat everyone the same. So, yeah, I've, I've, I've learned to win every single step. I don't know what I learned from being a newspaper deliverer on my riding my bicycle. <laughs> a paper boy, we called it, back when I was 12 years old. Probably learned I didn't want to be a paper boy again. You learned how to be a business person. How to be a business person. I learned how to, as a paper boy, in my day, you had to knock on the doors and collect yeah. from every customer. Yeah. And I collected 25 cents a week from all of my 60 customers. And wow. 
man, I hated that. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, how about you? Well, for me, I always laugh with my father because I was a political science major, undergraduate, and then I went to graduate school for sports management. He said, what are you going to do with that? So it turns out uh, running the operations for the CFP is, is what you do with that. But it's, um, Makes perfect sense. <laughs> but for, uh, for me, it's, it, it's similar to Bill. You, I've learned something from so many great uh, bosses, mentors, and, and people that have given me a chance earlier in my career that uh, I learned from every one of them. And, and from events side of things, it's been... Uh, Helpful to this position that I worked at a I worked at a pro team as an intern with the Marlins. I've worked with uh, by running local host committees for three Super Bowls and one Final Four. I've been here in at USF in an athletic department, at Wake Forest in an athletic department, at the ACC in a conference office. So when you really look at what the what the when the CFP was a blank slate and what the commissioners were looking for, that uh, that kind of brought it together. Great event management background, and then yet still understanding. Uh, the collegiate culture and understanding what's important to them about creating a collegiate event is what made it a right fit, and I'm very grateful for it because it's a it's a great job and being able to mold a blank slate from from scratch and have the uh, impact it's had on the community so far is is just uh, awesome. Bill Hancock, Michael Kelly, thank you so much for joining us. Good luck with the college football playoff championship game on Monday. I want to thank Boingo Wireless for powering our road shows. Thank you to Tagboard for providing our social media visualizations. Thank you to the University of South Florida for hosting our event. Anthony Vito, our guy, helping with all the production here. Anna, thank you for all of your help, and thank you to all of you for attending. Thank you very much. Hi, it's Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. Did you know that Super Bowl 50 broke the record for single-day Wi-Fi usage and beat last year's record before halftime? And that nearly 80% of fans use their mobile phones during live sports events? Today's sports fans expect strong, fast mobile connections at their favorite stadiums. And that is why major venues around the country work with Boingo Wireless to manage their wireless networks. Boingo knows fans, and they know how to make a venue's vision for the connected fan experience a reality. Boingo designs, installs, manages, and monetizes wireless networks at university stadiums like K-State and the University of Houston and major league venues like Chicago Soldier Field and Phillips Arena, home of the NBA's Atlanta Hawks. Boingo is the only company that can provide end-to-end wireless services so teams can focus on the big game, not on their network. Sports Business Radio has teamed up with Boingo to bring you monthly stadium stories focused on how technology is changing the business of sports. I will speak with Boingo and their partners, including athletic directors, venue owners, leading sports marketers, and industry influencers who will share valuable insights you'll want to tune in for. For more information on Boingo Wireless, visit boingo.com or email sports at boingo.com. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. We are back to wrap up this edition of Sports Business Radio, a special edition, our Sports Business Radio Roadshow from the campus of the University of South Florida. Thanks to them for hosting our event. Thank you so much to Bill Hancock and Michael Kelly with College Football Playoff. Very, very busy executives, and they were nice enough to sit down with me for an in-depth conversation, and uh, I really enjoyed it. And as I said, uh, two quality men as well as successful sports business executives. Thanks to our friends at Boingo Wireless for powering our Sports Business Radio Roadshow. Follow them online at boingo.com or on Twitter at Boingo. Thanks to Tagboard for providing our social media visualizations around the Sports Business Radio Roadshow. You can search the social media conversation around our show by going to hashtag SB Radio CFP, like college football playoff. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast. Just go to iTunes, type in Sports Business Radio. We're rated in the top 100 business news podcast. You can also find our show on Audio Boom. Tune in Radio, Stitcher, and of course, always at sportsbusinessradio.com. Follow me on Twitter at SB Radio. Honored for the third year in a row to be named a top 50 sports business must follow on Twitter by Forbes.com. Thank you to them. Picked up a number of new followers over the last few weeks. Also, a quick shout out to David Cohen, the Chief uh, Legal Counsel for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers gave me a terrific behind-the-scenes look at the Tampa Bay Bucks facilities while I was in Tampa, and uh, boy, that was a real treat. I felt like a 12-year-old uh, and seeing all their amazing facilities, and the thing that I took away is rest and recovery. What they are doing for rest and recovery for pro athletes and college athletes is at 
a phenomenal level these days. But uh, really great facility. Thank you to David Cohen for hosting me. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. Hello, everyone. Mark King here, president of Adidas Group North America. One of the most inspiring parts of my job is the conversations I have every day with extraordinary people who are shaping the sports landscape. I talk to athletes, league executives, athletic directors, and agents, and now I'm bringing these conversations to you through my new podcast series, Extraordinary Happens, Competing in Sports, Business, and Life. This series dives deeper into what inspires the people who are leading change in sport, both on and off the field. I want to know what makes them tick and uncover how they're challenging convention to make extraordinary things happen for their teams, their businesses, and themselves. And I want to share those stories and insights with you. Tune in to my bi-weekly episodes of Extraordinary Happens on iTunes and Stitcher. And remember, get out there, challenge each other, lead change, and make extraordinary happen. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bull Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio.